Scripture reading this morning will be from Galatians 5, 22-25. That's on page 一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个人的生命是一个
In other words, he's saying if you'll do these things, you're not going to violate God's will. But if you don't do these things, you'll violate God's will. Let's bring another summary from that. In other words, God is saying if you keep my will, you're going to have strong relationships. If you don't keep my will, you won't have strong relationships. In other words, God's saying weak relationships are against my will. They're against the law. God did not design us as Christians so that we could go to work and be miserable and make everybody around us miserable. God did not design us as Christians so that we could go to our home and make everybody in our home miserable. God did not design us as Christians so that we would be pitiful neighbors. God designed us as Christians that we truly would be a blessing to those which surround us. In other words, when we look a little bit closer to the text, look back there in Galatians 5 again. I want you to notice in 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. In just a moment, we're going to come back around to that word fruit. But I want you to key in, especially on the word Spirit here. Notice it's fruit of the Spirit. And then we're skipping as we look right now of love, joy. We're coming back to that. But look in 24 and 25. In 24, he says, he's talking about a group of people. And he says, those who are Christ." So there's people that belong to Christ. Now notice this. They've crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And so there are individuals that they have crucified the flesh. In other words, they say, I'm no longer going to live by flesh. Well, okay, now that they've crucified the flesh, well, where are they going to live? They're going to live in Christ. Now they belong in Christ. Well, how are they going to live? They're going to live in the Spirit. Well, how are they going to live? They're going to walk. In other words, their conduct is going to be a result of a life in the Spirit. And what's that going to do? That's going to produce something. Again, let's put that producing on hold for just a minute. Let's come back to this idea of the Spirit. You know, there are a lot of things said about the Spirit on either side that just isn't correct. There's one group that will go so far as to talk about the Spirit as an it. They speak about the Spirit as if He has no power today. You would think that it's an object that is dead. God the Spirit is part of the Godhead. Just as we speak of the Father being He, we speak of Jesus. He came to this earth. The Spirit, He blesses our lives tremendously. And so we are invited to walk in the Spirit and to live a life in the Spirit. Now... Someone says, oh, so you're studying that. How high are you going to jump? How many pews are you going to roll over? Well, we don't see that in the Scriptures either. But you know what we do see? We see that it could be a proper question to say, oh, so you're going to study the Spirit? How straight did He cause you to walk? How holy has He made your conduct? Friends, we don't write the passages. We study them. And we believe them. And throughout this paragraph in Galatians, the fifth chapter, he makes it very clear that there is a life that is different when we are led by the Spirit. Play follow the leader. When we are led by the Spirit, there is a life that is very, very different. When we live in the Spirit, it's very different than living in the world. When we walk by the Spirit, it's very different than being led by the passions of the flesh. What, what does it produce? Now we come back around to the topic of this series. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. Our walk, our life in the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. Now think with me for just a moment. What, what is fruit? 
Do you just sit down and make fruit? In other words, what would you think if, if you saw me and... I don't want to be by myself in this illustration. Let's say a few of you were sitting around with me and, and, and we were cutting out orange construction paper and, and, and we had little pieces of, of plastic and rubber that was orange in color and we were gluing it together and somebody comes up and says, hey, what are you guys doing? So we're making an orange. That's interesting. Is, is it an art project? Are you doing it for, for an object lesson? What, what's this orange for? And you say, we're hungry. That person going, I must misunderstand. What now? Why are you making the art? We're hungry. As, as soon as we finish eating this fruit, as soon as we finish making this fruit, we're going to eat it. Oh boy, it's going to be delicious. Well, you would immediately think that we're crazy. Why? We don't just sit around and make fruit. Fruit is produced by what? An orange tree produces an orange. What produces love and joy and peace and patience? and goodness, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. What produces this? Friends, please get this, because this series this month will have very little meaning that it could have unless we get this point. And the point is this. I fear too oftentimes we say, I'm going to build a strong relationship with my spouse. I'm going to build a strong relationship with my children, or with my parents, or with a neighbor, or with coworkers. And we think we're going to sit down with some construction paper, and we're going to make some love, and we're going to make some kindness, and we're going to make some goodness. And the problem is, it'd be just like trying to make an orange and saying, I'm going to live off this. The Lord says those things are the fruit of the Spirit. We have to go back to what produces the fruit. What produces the fruit, Lord? And he says it's when we belong to Christ and we live our life in the Spirit and we walk according to the Spirit, these things are produced. And so our challenge becomes to say, I want all of these things produced and then that kind of reminds us of a great because they come in clusters instead of just an individual fruit. And you'll notice that it doesn't say in the Scriptures, fruits of the Spirit. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say that, but that's just not accurate. The Scripture does talk about the works of the flesh, but the Scripture never talks about the fruits of the Spirit, because you and I aren't just going to pick and choose, and we're not just going to live out one of these, but not live out the other, because these things are the result of a life that's wholly given to God, and so the whole cluster, if you will, is produced, and it's a wonderful clustering. It's a wonderful blessing. Now, by way of introduction, and we won't have this introduction of the, the fruit of the Spirit every one of these series. We want to lay some things out that, that hopefully we'll keep in mind all month as we study this. And so emphasis sake, but also in another way to illustrate this, I want to again use a Bible illustration for what does it mean for us to produce this fruit of the Spirit in our life. A second illustration that the Bible would give us is the idea of living under the influence of alcohol. That's right. That may sound strange, but the Bible really does give us that example. If you want to be turning to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in just a moment, we'll read that. But before we read that, I want you to think with me for just a moment of being under the influence of alcohol. You know, it's easy 
for us probably to imagine because the sad reality is many of us have seen it up close and personal. And, and you know, you see someone and they just say the most hateful things or they have the most foul mouth and then somebody standing by says, hey, listen, don't pay them any attention. That's, that's alcohol speaking. Or, or someone does something, say, hey, listen, she usually doesn't flirt with married men. That's just the alcohol that's, that's doing that to us. Hey, you know, they usually don't vomit all over your car. That's just the alcohol that, that's making them do that. You know, they usually don't look that way in the mornings. Their eyes are so red and, and they want you to whisper. It's just the alcohol that's giving them that headache. You know that we could go on and on and on giving the ramifications of what happens in the life of an individual whenever they are under the influence of alcohol. Now, I want to key in on that, under the influence. In other words, there are literally many things that a person will do and say that they would never do and say unless they were under that influence. That's why in Proverbs, the 20th chapter and verse 1, he warns that those who are led astray by it are not wise. Now notice the word led. In other words, alcohol leads people in their life. If they were not under influence, they would say, hey, you're not going to make a mockery out of me. Hey, I'm not going to get into a fight tonight. Hey, I'm not going to become immoral tonight. Well, you know what alcohol will do? It'll take you in all those ways. That's why we are told to avoid it. That's why drunkenness is a sin. That's why Proverbs warns against the dangers of any influence of it. Now, where is it in the scriptures that says there's something to learn positive about that? Look with me, Will, over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And let's look at verse 17 and 18 of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. This is in a paragraph that is talking about walking in wisdom. And he's already talked about using our time wisely and not allowing evil things to come into our life that would waste our time and waste our opportunities in our life and even our influence. And so now notice in 17, he's still talking about that as he says, therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting that, that he says, okay, here's one way to be under the influence of something, to be filled with something. You can do it with alcohol, and it'll lead your life. And he says, I don't want you to do that. Instead of being filled by the Spirit, he says, I want you to be, or instead of being filled with alcohol, he says, I want you to be filled in the Spirit. In other words, are you going to live your life under the influence of a life where you can truly say, we are Christ? Let me ask you something. Instead of, say, headaches and dizziness and, and slurred speech and, and, and just indiscretions and, and things of that matter that come from the influence of alcohol, what do you think is going to be the influence of a life that's being led by the Spirit? Well, in this next slide, you see a list that looks pretty familiar, doesn't it? When an individual lives their life under the influence of the Spirit, where the Spirit is their life and they walk in the Spirit, those are the things that are produced. And so over here we have a father that his child has made him angry, and so he returns it and makes his child angry. But over here we have a father who is living in the Spirit. And so his child makes him angry, 
pushes the right buttons, and that father decides to not provoke his child to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why? Because he would do that on his own? No, on his own he would live by the flesh. He would retaliate. But since he's living under the Spirit, he would do different. Oh, here's a wife that her husband is doing the wrong thing. And so she joins in and does the wrong thing. But over here we have a woman who is living in the Spirit. In 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, her husband does the wrong thing and she lives a pure and a chaste life. Why? Because she would do that naturally? No, naturally she would probably join in with her spouse. But since she's living by the Spirit, she doesn't. Friends, we could discuss every relationship where literally at all times you and I have to make a decision. Am I going to live by the flesh or am I going to live by the Spirit? And if I live my life in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, belonging to Jesus Christ, a different influence is in my life, so therefore the result, the fruit that's lived is going to look very, very different. And so this month we're going to look at these fruitful principles. We're going to look at fruitful principles that they will give us fantastic relationships. Now, bear in mind, you and I can only control one individual in a relationship. We can only control ourselves. But we can always have a goal that says, whatever I contribute to a relationship, I want it to be because I'm led by the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit are being produced in my life. And so this morning, for the few minutes that we have left, let's look at some things about love and joy. One thing that we want to consider first and foremost is let's stop being a mirror, if you will, of love and joy. Let's stop reflecting love and joy to everyone based upon the fact of whether or not they have shown us love and joy. You know, you've heard me talk about this principle before, but to me, this is one of those principles that you and I have to get it right every day or we get it wrong every day. You and I have to decide, am I going to be that person that, that when I'm around someone that, that they're showing love towards me, I reflect it right back at them. And when they are, are, are happy and they create a happy circumstance, I reflect happiness right back at them. And, and whether it's a spouse, if, if they've lost their temper, I'm that spouse that loses my temper right back. Hey, I reflect you. And, and if it's a, a clerk that's rude, hey, I'm a reflection. I'm rude right back at you. Do you realize that that's probably, that is the most common way to live? We live in a world where people, they know natural love, but they don't know godly love. You see, natural love is that idea that says, I'm going to do what is good for you, and I'm going to serve you because I need something in return from you. And so you have parents that they practice natural love for their child because they want their child to do well because it's a reflection on the parent. They want their child to love them because they feel like they need that love from the child. They're good to a neighbor because after all, that neighbor one time was good to them and they realized how well that worked and so they're going to be good to the neighbor because they may need the neighbor again. They're good to a co-worker because they know, hey, if I need to take a few days off, that co-worker watches my back and I watch their back. Now, friends, you remember a while ago when I challenged us, let's evaluate? It doesn't do any good if we're not honest with ourselves, does it? Let's be real honest with ourselves. Why do we love others? If you could get nothing in return, would you still love others? That's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. 
It's all about us being unconditional in what we have to offer. It's about shattering those mirrors and saying, I'm not a reflection of you. I don't receive my power from you. You can't give me happiness and you can't take my happiness away. You can't make me love the way I need to love, but you better believe I'm going to love you the way you need to love no matter what you do, no matter what you say. I'm not a reflection of you. I'm not a reflection of this world, the flesh, the desire, and the passion. I want to be one that's living their life in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is being produced in my life. And the only way that can happen is for us first to receive the love and the joy of God. Keep in mind, we cannot give something that we have not received. When you think about cell service, all of us know what it is to go out of range and we no longer have reception. Think about that. We have a phone and it's just not working properly. We have relationships and they're just not working properly. We're religious, but it's still not working properly. What's the problem? We need reception. We need to receive the love of God so we can truly understand what it is, so we can truly know how to give it. We need to receive the joy that God gives so that we can receive it and know how to give it. With this in mind, I'd like for you to look at these passages here that if you're, you're taking notes or uh, however it would help, we're only going to have time this morning to just briefly mention these. Many of you will know these passages well. When we think about receiving the love of God, 1 John 4 and 8 teaches us that God is love. We're receiving the very character of God. And when we think about the gift of Jesus Christ. Why was Jesus Christ sent? John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that He gave. We literally receive salvation from God because He loves us so much. When we think about the first and second greatest commandment, what is in common? The first commandment is to love God with all your being. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. What's in common with those two? The only word that is in common with those two is the one word love. And it's interesting that he starts the second one and says, it's likened to it. In other words, God is saying, you can reduce everything that I'm asking of you to one word, love. Are you willing to practice agape? Are you willing to receive it from God and use it in your life in a healthy way? He even goes so far in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the discussion is between those that had the gift of speaking in tongues and those that were, had the gift of prophecy and they really were not appreciating each other, especially those that could speak in tongues. And so he wants to tell them how they need to use their gift and he closes the 12th chapter by saying, I want to teach you a more excellent way. And you know what the excellent way was? It was the love chapter, the 13th chapter. And then when he comes to the end of the 13th chapter, now by its faith, Hope and love, these three. But the greatest is love. Friends, what if we didn't have that in the Scriptures? What if God didn't tell us that? And I stood here today before you and I said, Now as wonderful as faith is, love is better. Would that bother you? What if, what if somebody says, All the promises, the hope that God gives us. Let me tell you something better. Love. Friends, it is tremendous for us to study this topic of love because this is the one that God, with no hesitation, says it's more important than faith. It's more important than hope. In other words, everything rests upon this. Do you love? Have you received the love of God? Have you given it back? Have you received the love of God and shared it with others? First and second, greatest commandment. And then 
when we have lists like in Colossians, the third chapter, it's a beautiful list of things that we are to take upon ourselves as Christians. And he closes that list by saying, and above all these things, put on love. Have you received the love of God? Have you received the joy of God? Look in 1 Timothy, the first chapter, and verse 11. Here is, is a passage where Paul is saying to Timothy about God and about the gospel that God gives them. But he puts in just one description of God here. Look in 1 Timothy 1.11. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, what do he call God? The blessed God. Do you know from studying the Beatitudes last month, blessed is also the idea of joy or happiness. He calls God happy. He says, I've received this gospel. I've been entrusted with this gospel by the joyful God, by the blessed God. When you see in your mind's eye, and I'm not saying that either of ours is accurate, but when you see in our mind's eye an image of God, what do you see? True story. A few years ago, within the Brotherhood, there was a publication that was going to be sold hundreds of thousands of times. And so they hired an artist and paid him several thousand dollars to make a sketch of Jesus that would be at a, at a place in this publication where everybody would see it. And so the first paintings or sketches, if you will, of Jesus came back and, and those that were using this in the publishing, they were a little concerned about it because Jesus looked a little bit stern. And so they decided to give it the litmus test. They took it and showed it to a group of children. And they didn't tell the children who this man is. They just said, what do you think whenever you see this picture? And the children began to say things like, mean, mad, he's ugly. So they went back to the artists and they said, can you soften his eyes a little bit and, and make his mouth a little more pleasant? And the artist sent back, more sketches. They took those before the same group of children and said, what do you think about this? The child said, he's nice. I like him. And then one little girl, this is how they knew they had the sketch they wanted. One little girl, she didn't say anything. She just smiled real big when she looked at him. And she got up out of her chair and she walked over to the picture and she kissed it. And they knew that was the one they were going to use. How do you picture God? When Paul talked to Timothy about the God that gave him the gospel to preach and teach, he said, I see a joyful God. I see a blessed God. When Jesus was preparing to leave this earth, look in John, the 15th chapter. He spoke in verse 9 and 10 of the love that they have been taught to obey, but especially notice verse 11, John 15 and verse 11. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see the message that, that Jesus is giving here? He's saying, look, when I leave you, I just want my joy to remain in you. 
Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought, I thought you were a miserable person. I thought you went around constantly telling people everything they couldn't do. Jesus, I thought your life was pitiful on this earth. It was just a hard life where you were born in poverty and you walked around without a home and you finally died on a cross and, and you're just this miserable God on earth. Have you fallen for that line of Satan? Have you believed that deception? That's not Jesus on earth. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is joyful. The God we serve is blessed. The God we serve not only came to this earth for mankind to be full of blessings, He even talked with them about them that He wanted them to maintain those blessings. And so as we close this lesson, we ask ourselves, are we ready to start producing this love and this joy? In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we have a description of this. I'm not going to read it word for word, but this is the application part of this lesson. I want to know, and, and you've got to answer within yourself, are you willing to leave today and say, everybody that I come in contact with this week, everybody. Now, it doesn't matter how they're treating me. It doesn't matter what they've done to me in the past. Everybody, because I am Christ, I'm going to treat them in a way that I'm going to suffer long and I'm going to be kind, no matter what. I'm not going to envy them, no matter what. I'm not going to become proud and parade myself or be puffed up. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to seek my own. I'm not going to think evil. I'm not going to rejoice in iniquity, but in truth. I'm going to bear... Believe, hope, and endure all things. That kind of love is what I get to decide. Am I going to offer it to others? And I decide it by belonging to Christ. That joy, that joy that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, I get to decide, am I going to rejoice always? That joy... That Paul in Philippians, that's the theme of the book of Philippians. He had joy even though he was writing from a prison cell. And James, he begins his book by saying, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. There's going to be a lot of heartaches, a lot of trials, a lot of temptations that some of us have faced this week. And God is saying, I don't want your happiness now think about the English words here. I don't want your happiness to be tied to happenings. I want your happiness to be tied to God. And no matter what happens, you make sure that your life is right with God. And in that, you can have joy that cannot be destroyed by the happenings around you. Whether in prison or in persecution, you still get to be empowered with love and joy. This morning, I want to urge you to shatter the mirrors. This morning, I want to urge you to receive the love of God and to pass it on. This morning, I want to remind you that it was the Lord that ended the fruit of the Spirit by saying, against such, there is no law. God absolutely does not want you to have bad relationships. He doesn't. He wants you to be the contributing factor to strong relationships. He wants you to love and wants you to be joyful. 
Listen. If you have seen people that were sour and Christians, you saw a contradiction. If you've seen people that just seem so cold-hearted, but yet called themselves a Christian, you saw a contradiction. The fruit of the Spirit is what Christians produce because of where they live in the Spirit. And they show love to everybody at all times and are joyful.